0: I'd like for you to turn once again to the uh, book of Joshua, the first chapter. For the last few weeks, we've been discussing the theme of the life of victory, the victorious life. And the book of Joshua, more than any other Old Testament book, gives us in picture form what it means to go for the people of God to go into victory. Remembering that Canaan never represents, in the Old Testament, never represents heaven. We get that from the songs, hymns. But it represents the fullness of blessing and the life of victory that God has made available to every believer. And we reading verse 10 and following. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan, to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, to possess it. And to the Reubenites, and to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But you shall cross before your brothers in battle array, all your valiant warriors, and shall help them, until the Lord gives your brothers rest, and he gives you And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. An act of faith is preparation so that when one has received the promise to possess then the key to spiritual victory is to prepare to possess. And I believe that that once a person has received the promise of God as an act of faith, he claims that, that the next thing he has to do is to get prepared to receive it. And that preparation is itself an act of faith. It's like praying for rain and going out and buying an umbrella. It's like the little boy who came to the West Texas prayer meeting for rain, dressed in, in rain slicker and galoshes, carrying an umbrella. That once you claim the promise of God, the next act of faith is getting prepared for it. Vance Havner said, we always sang, Lord, use me, Lord, use me. He said, what we need to do is to get prepared for God to use us. For when you are prepared, then God will use you. And and Joshua was so convinced that the promise of God was his in reality that he began to make preparation to receive the promise. And that in itself was an act of faith. There's an interesting verse of scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 12. It's verse 14. And it says that Rehoboam did evil in that he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. And the interesting thing about that is that that Rehoboam had done a catalog of indictable crimes and sins. What he did, this evil man, you couldn't put in a catalog. But when the inspired writer began to describe the evil of this man, he said one thing, that he he failed to prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Preparation is essential. And so for every person who is going into victory, preparation is itself an act of faith. And there are three things, three essentials concerning preparation. The first is this. There must be a new diet. Now, now this seems so strange that, that God would say to Joshua, prepare yourself provision or supplies. And what he's talking about is get food together. Now, you'd think that the first thing that they needed to do in going across the Jordan into the land of promise was to prepare a bridge. You'd think he'd say prepare a boat but he said, prepare bread. Does that mean that the first and most essential thing in going into victory and living the victorious life is nourishment? That's exactly what it means. And the nature of this nourishment was, it was, is interesting because they no longer ate manna. In the fifth chapter in verse 12 it says that once they crossed the Jordan River and went in to receive the fullness of God's blessing, they never ate manna again. For manna was food for the wilderness. It was was sufficient for the life of defeat, but it wasn't adequate for the life of victory. Now you and I, I think, have made too big a deal out of this thing called manna. You know, in our songs and our poems, we've really glamorized manna. And you'd think it was a great big T-bone steak, about a quarter of an inch thick, you know, medium well, with a big juicy fat baked potato and butter and sour cream and chives and a crisp uh, salad. That's why we glamorized manna, but manna wasn't like that at all. Manna was just a coarse piece of bread, really no substance to it much, about like uh, our three-day-old bread. And God was good to give them manna because that sustained them in the wilderness, but it did not satisfy them. You see, a, a sick man on a hospital bed doesn't need the same nourishment that a soldier in the battle. And so when he got them ready to go into the land of fullness and victory and blessing, they had to get a brand new diet. Now watch this carefully. I'm convinced that the reason why most of us have never been able to sustain the victorious Christian life is because we're still living on the same old diet of the the wilderness, of the land of defeat. And if you think you're going to live in victory and spend the same amount of time with God that you've always spent, the same kind of prayer life, and the same kind of devotional life, you can forget it. That dog won't hunt. And the reason why you and I have never been able to sustain a victorious life with God is because we live on the same old nourishment and diet of the wilderness, of the land of defeat. It's good for that, but it's not sufficient for the life of victory. Now, I'd like to be able this morning to give you just some simple way to live in victory for the rest of your life. And, you know, some, kind of like a pill. And every time I, uh, you know, I'll say this, everybody just kind, of, I just kind of feel this let down feeling. You know, it, surely there's got to be some more glamorous answer than that. Well, there isn't. The first thing that's necessary in living the victorious life is to begin to develop a hunger for God and a hunger for His Word and that new nourishment and that new diet is essential. Second thing that's necessary in preparation and that is even more surprising is a new delay The scripture says that God said to them, now in three days you're going to go into victory. They'd been delayed for 40 years. As a matter of fact, the day they crossed over the Jordan into Canaan was 40 years to the day that they passed through the Red Sea out of Egypt, to the day. And so for 40 years they had been delayed in receiving the promise and the fullness of it. And God says three more days of waiting. There's got to be a reason for that. Well, the text suggests that there are three reasons. Why? A new delay. The first was that it was to be a time of observation. And so he says in chapter 3 that they came and they camped beside the Jordan. And then he just drops this little footnote and says that the Jordan was at flood stage. And so he brings these people over there and sets them down beside the Jordan River that is out of control, out of its banks at flood stage. Nobody's building a bridge. Nobody's building a boat. Everybody's just sitting there looking at the Jordan out of control. You know what God is doing? Watch this. God is impressing upon His people the impossibility of the task. God does that to me a lot. And some of you kind of nod your head. Does you that way. He sets me down beside my Jordan just to let me see and observe how, how impossible it is to do what He demands of us to do. What are the jardins of your life? I'm talking about what are those things in the realm of your living that are out of control, out of their banks? And you're just saying to yourself, if I could just get past this, if I could just get over this hump, if I could just get this thing behind me, it seems so impossible, doesn't it? So God brings you to the out of control areas of life and he sits you down beside them and just causes you to look at the impossibility of the task and when you're ready to say, Lord, I can't do this, God then says, "Now ah, you're just about ready for me to use it's a time of observation it's a time of confirmation now the second chapter says that they sent out spies Joshua did into the land kind of surprises me because you know, of the track record of these spies they'd already sent 12 of them out and they came back 10 of them said we can't do it but, so I'm kind of surprised when he sends two more back into the land but there's a reason for that For inside the city of Jericho, this fortified, walled-up city, they meet this woman called Rahab. She's a harlot, a prostitute. And God speaks to us in the most unusual ways, the most unlikely ways and places. God speaks to us. and So he he had this harlot by the name of Rahab in there in, in the city of Jericho, and these two guys went in there, these two spies, and they met her. And this is what she said to them in the second chapter, verse 9. And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Now just think about this. These guys are sitting for three days beside the Jordan, out of control, about to move into a land against the city most fortified. And there is this harlot in that city who tells them, This land is your land. said, and that the terror of the Lord has fallen on us so that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. It was a time of confirmation. And so when they got back, these two spies came to Joshua and this is what they said. Surely the Lord, they just repeating her. I mean right out of the mouth of the harlot came this message they repeated. Surely the Lord has given this land into our hands, and all the inhabitants of the land, moreover, have melted away before us. Now watch this carefully. Sometimes God causes us to wait or delay so that He can confirm to us His promise. Have you ever noticed that that sometimes God just puts you on hold? And while you're on hold, he's doing all this wonderful stuff over here with somebody else. Like Jarius, who came to Jesus one day, asked him to heal his daughter. His daughter was dying, 12 years old, the only child he had. On their way to the, Jairus' house, interrupted by this woman with an issue of blood, been sick for 12 years, same age as his daughter. And while they were delaying, his daughter died. Jesus said, go on having faith, keep your eyes open. Remember, watch this. See this, that while you're in delay, I'm confirming again and again what I'm able to do to confirm your faith in me. It's a time of confirmation. It's a time of separation. Have you ever wondered about this little story that starts in verse 12 about these two tribes and a half-tribe of Manasseh, what this is all about? Well, the 23rd chapter of the book of Numbers tells us about this. It says that when Moses brought these people up to the east side of the Jordan, these two and a half tribes of people got to looking around and they said, This is pretty good land here. I mean, this is all we need. Let let us just settle down here and have this land. We don't want to, you know, we don't we don't need to go over the Jordan. This is good enough for us. And Moses was, made, was angry and he said, You mean you're going to let your brothers go into there and fight? And you're not going to help? Oh, no, they said, We'll go over there and help them fight it. And we'll support the program. But this is good enough for us. Now, what? You see, among God's people, there are two realms of people. There are those people who want everything that God has promised them, they want the best. They want everything that God makes available to believers. They want it all. They're, sa- they're, they're not satisfied with subnormal lifestyles. They want everything that God has for them. And then there are those in this, among this people of God who are totally satisfied with things just as they are. And it's kind of amazing that, God, that Moses granted them their request, but he had no choice. For you see, God... Allows us to choose where we're going to live, and God allows us to choose the level of our spiritual experience. So that there's some of you this morning who are not satisfied with less than everything God has for you, and you want the best. You want everything, God to give you everything that He makes available to faith you aren't satisfied with less than that but most of us are absolutely totally content just to go on muddle about with 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 it just like it is and there are some people in this church who would, you know they support the program you have a revival meeting they're here faithful to every service you ask them to give they'll give You ask them to be on committees, teach Sunday school class, they'll do that. They're they're faithful. And the problem is that they're absolutely content to support the program and live with everything just like it is. Oh, God, give us a congregation of people who are satisfied with nothing less than everything God makes available to us. And the tragic thing about it is that these guys went back over there and they camped on the east side of the Jordan and spent their life there. And when the Assyrians came, they were the first to go into captivity and they never returned. And I'm absolutely certain that the people of God who are content to be satisfied with everything just as it is, normality and and the status quo, are the ones who go down in defeat first and never come back. The second key to spiritual victory and preparation is a new uh, commitment, a new desire, a new delay. Third, there must be a new dedication, diet, delay and dedication now the fifth verse of the third chapter reads like this God said sanctify yourselves for tomorrow God will do mighty things among you now wouldn't you wouldn't it be great if somehow some you know some voice or something we came in here on some Sunday morning and you know and Nobody's tricking us or anything, you know. Just this boy says, sanctify yourselves. For today, God is going to do something mighty among us. That wouldn't thrill a soul. You might think it would, but it wouldn't. And the reason why it wouldn't is because of the command, sanctify yourself. Now, we'd like for God to do mighty things among us. Well, let me tell you something. It costs something for that to happen. Consecrate yourself, he said. For tomorrow God is going to do mighty things among you. But that consecrate yourself, that's the rub. Now, I alluded to this last Sunday, and I said it was this in this sermon, so I'm, I'm going to go back and I'm going to, Expand on it a little bit. That before God sent His people into battle and before He did something mighty among them, they had to go through this process of sanctification. It involved two things. It involved the sanctification of their private life, their most personal life, husband and wife. Couldn't live together as husband and wife. It meant that in the most private and personal area of one's life, There had to be this process of cleansing, of consecration, of sanctification. What are you like in the most private part of your life where nobody sees you but God? I'm not even talking about that area of your life where only your children see you or only your wife sees you or only your husband sees you or only your parents see you. I'm talking about that area, that realm of your life Where only God sees you what are you like right there and I tell you most of us would flee if that part of our life would be exposed before the public we'd flee before God can do mighty things in victory in our life there must first of all be the consecration the sanctification of one's private life and then There was the consecration or sanctification of one's public life. They had to wash their garments spotless. I am absolutely, hear my heart this morning. I am absolutely amazed and appalled at the lack of holiness in public life among the people of God. Amazed and appalled and the lament that comes again and again and again from the public sector is this that you can't tell the difference between God's people and the rest it is amazing shouldn't there be a line of demarcation somewhere Shouldn't there be a line of differentiation somewhere? Shouldn't it be that the people of God are different, distinct, and unique? Isn't it, isn't it true that the distinctive of the Christian life is that we are God's people? And doesn't that mean something? I hear it again and again and again and again, so do you. Well, he's no different than the rest of us. Where is this line of moral imperative that separates and makes the people of God different from the world? You've known me for eight years, and I'm no witch hunter, but I'm gonna do something right now I've never done before. I'm gonna read you something here. While back the largest brewery in the United States was dedicated in Winston-Salem, New York. Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It was the Slitz Brewery. Now that's no big news item, but this is. Southern Baptist minister led to prayer of dedication. Now, this Southern Baptist minister was not some uh, hokey pokey guy out of the hills over there. He was, in fact, the Christian Life Commission gave him a mo- gave him an award as the most outstanding Southern Baptist minister. And he at one time was the president of his convention. This is his prayer. Lord, we thank thee that thou hast made us so that we can enjoy new beginnings. That thou hast made us so that we can participate in dedications and make commitments and enjoy new fresh relationships. Our hearts tell us that industry is people. And so we thank thee, O living God, for the persons who have been plunged into the life fabric, the process of living, deciding and being in our community. We thank thee for them and their families. We thank thee, O God, for the influences that they shall be that shall be engaged and the relationships That shall be enjoyed because of new friends from this plant and this industry moving into our community. Grant to them all the resources, wisdom, and skill that shall be demanded of this industry, and give them, O God, thy presence and thy peace, and give them all the fruits and all the joys of this day of dedication, and the relationships that shall ensue to all of us from it. In the strong name of our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now the thing that bothers me about that is that one of my colleagues, one of my my associates would do that. And the thing that bothers me this morning is this, is that when I stand to preach to a congregation on Sunday, I preach to people who want to go into victory. We we have to want to live this kind of life, to receive the fullness of His promise. And yet, not willing to sanctify ourselves In public and private life. And the only way we can be prepared for God to do mighty things among us is to repent from what has caused us wilderness experience. Now there is a promise from God this morning and that promise is that we can live in continuous, continual victory. And that promise is ours to claim when we're ready for the new diet, when we're willing to observe the impossibility of the task, when we're willing to sanctify ourselves in heart and life. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the moment of decision for us has come and that the people of God will decide to, you, to do Your will To live your life. To be totally unhappy and dissatisfied with subnormal living. And be willing to pay the price to live on the other side of the Jordan. On the other side of Calvary. For I pray in Jesus' name. And I ask it for His sake. There are three invitations, an invitation this morning to receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And God made provision for every sin, for every need when He brought redemption through Jesus Christ. He sat down at the right hand of God and the work was finished, and now it's ours to receive to to appropriate, to trust, to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. I invite you to come, placing your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, trusting Him and only Him to save you. An invitation this morning for you to come and join His church, to be a part of the local church, the local ministry. Share with us the burden. Share with us the joy to come this morning, rededicating yourself to Jesus Christ, to make public a decision to turn from one way that does not please God, turn to that way which does. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come. On the first word, you come.